Hello, and welcome to A Glimpse into the Future. My name is Rigas Adzilakos, and in this podcast series, I talk to some of the world's leading experts to better understand how new technologies and ideas will shape our future. In today's episode, I talk to Jamie Smith, Global Chief Communications and Marketing Officer at the Bitfury Group. Jamie is also a member of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Blockchain. Apologize to your listeners that I have a little bit of a cold. If I sound stuffed up, I apologize. <laughs> Sounds great. So we've all been listening, hearing about the Bitcoin, the hype around it the last couple of years or so. Uh, but uh, tell us a bit about the technology behind it. What is the blockchain? How does it work? Yeah, uh, no, I'm glad that you asked. I think there is um, a fair bit of confusion and uh, it stems from essentially people overcomplicating it a little bit. Um, at the very core, this is an upgrade on the internet. Um, it's essentially a system that is, allows people to send and receive any sort of asset from the palm of their hand using their phone. Um, any money, uh, you can do it for anything. You could do it for land title, music, you name it, a commodity, water. You could do any, any type of, of asset that you want to transfer peer-to-peer using your phone. You can do that now. And you used to be able to do it anyway, but now the difference between this uh, systems that we have now and the blockchain-based system is that it records each transfer in an immutable record that is both um, transparent and so far in the last eight years since it's been created, it has proven itself unhackable. So it offers levels of security that I don't think anyone has seen so far. That sounds very interesting. How do I do it? So if I have a, if I've written a music that is amazing and I want to, to get it out there and... What do I do? Yeah, so essentially, let's think of this like a train track, right? So there's a train track that stems between you and me, right? Mm -hmm. And on that train track, there's a car. And that car is otherwise known as a digital token. Some people call that digital token a Bitcoin. So don't think of Bitcoin in the way that, you know, is like a digital currency necessarily, though Bitcoin does have value. And right now it's almost $1,000 of Bitcoin, which is great. But think of it like a digital token. And I can attach any asset to that token. And I can break that token up to a zillion pieces. And then you can attach a zillion assets to that token. Um, and basically I transfer that token to you. And when I do that, it gets a timestamp and it gets a number, like a QR code. And so that record has been recorded on the blockchain-based system that allows everybody to know that that happened and that it can't be changed. So the immutability of that record is really critical because when you look at so many issues around the world, what's actually, um, there's data security and then there's data immutability, right? If somebody gets into your data and sees that you have type O blood, that's a problem and that's annoying and that's not great. But if somebody gets in and changes your blood, then you have a major problem, right? So the internet wasn't created with that security in mind. It was created so we could just transfer information, but it wasn't created so that we could secure that information and make sure that nobody basically messes with it. And now this system allows it to be unmessed with, and that has huge, huge possibilities. So what's capturing everybody's imagination is the idea that I can send money back and forth, and that is extremely exciting and huge for all of the millions of people in the world who are unbanked and are basically living outside of regular society and regular order. But if you think about the transfer of any asset, then you're in a whole different ballgame. That is capturing everybody's imagination in a whole different way. So it can be a gigantic tool in a toolbox of solving a lot of the world's bigger problems from identity 
to just tracking and logging that somebody was born and that they exist. And so therefore, if they are human trafficked, God forbid, they can fight and say, no, this is who I am. Right now, they're fighting with a piece of paper that could easily be burned and torn up or removed. And all of a sudden, you are owned by a human, another human being. And again, I'm not saying technology can solve human trafficking, but I do think that since the internet, this is the best tool we've had so far. So could you guide us through, except for cryptocurrencies that everybody knows about, what yeah. else has it been tried for right now? What has it been used for? And where do you see it in 10 to 15 years? What are the biggest impact areas that you uh, evaluate that it will have? Yeah, so where so a company like where I work is um, has taken a real interest in trying to test the limits and the limitations, and hopefully there aren't any on this technology. And so by doing that, it's one thing for me to explain to you and your listeners what technology is and does. And I'm not a technologist, so I can only go so far. And there's very few people, believe it or not, who actually really care about the nuts and bolts of how things work. Mostly people just want to know, what can I, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for society and how can I understand it? And so we know that one of the best ways to explain this technology is by showing. Mm -hmm. And we gain a great value by actually doing pilot projects so that we as a company and as an ecosystem can learn. And also so that we can tell a better, clearer story about the technology, right? So when I think about the way the internet works... My mother doesn't care how it works. She just cares that she can see pictures of my children and buy shoes on the internet, right? She doesn't care like what HTML is and HTTP. So we kind of have to assume that everybody else is kind of going to be in that place on blockchain. So it's a long way of saying that we're engaged in a number of different pilot projects, but the whole industry is engaged in pilot projects. And for example, we are doing a land titling project in... Um, concert with the Georgian government from the mm -hmm. Republic of Georgia and they have turns out the World Bank ranks the Republic of Georgia number three in the world for land title records yes um, post-Soviet Russia they basically there were really smart people who came in and helped a lot of these countries get their records in place so one of the main lessons is you need to have political will and you also need to have good information. Putting bad information in an immutable record is a bad idea. But if you have good information and you want to organize it better, then and you have a government that's really interested and willing to do new things and try ways that they can save their people money, then you're in a whole different place. And so basically, we build the, we're building the train track putting the information on those digital currencies and blockchains and moving the information onto a blockchain-based system. And what that means is that if you're a person who wants to sell your house right now, it takes about three days in the Republic of Georgia, if I'm right. Maybe, no, no, a day, sorry. In the U.S. it takes three days. <laughs> Republic of Georgia is better. It takes them about a day. Um, and it's about $50. With this system, it will take a few hours, and it's about a dollar. So the return on this investment is a whole lot better for governments. And if you look at Estonia, they are leading the charge. They have almost all of their government records in a blockchain-based system. And their approval ratings are almost 20% higher for like, citizens being happy with their government than the EU average. Very impressive. So that sounds like a, a great tool for governments. Yes, if harnessed uh, correctly. If harnessed correctly, so how how far do you think governments understand today the blockchain? Uh, we have a long way to go, but I will say, here's the thing. When I started in this industry only a year and a half ago, maybe a little less than that, um, I had never heard of it, and I actually thought it was like criminal money and bad. So I get why people start in the wrong place. There's been some really confusing media coverage, um, and look, some early adopters of technologies that work tend to be bad guys, so, you know... 
it's something that every technology has to deal with. <laughs> um, and it's not a great thing, but it is what it is. But I think that um, when I was going around talking to people who had invested in the original internet and were part of that first wave, I've asked all of them, if you're going to compare this to the original internet, what year are we in? And no one I've spoken to has gone past like 1992, maybe 91. So it's a really important reminder to me that this is very early. I mean, the Facebook of this world and the Google hasn't even begun to be thought through. So there's somebody out there in the world who's hopefully listening to this is coming up with a phenomenal idea and it's gonna change the world. And so I think that essentially what we are looking at is governments have an opportunity right now to start learning. And hopefully through various initiatives like the World Economic Forum's you know, Future Council, it will give them an opportunity to really learn, learn what they need to know, ask the right questions, and get involved in just some pilots. You, know, you don't have to put your whole government system on the blockchain-based system, though I will say the Dubai government already announced they're putting all of their records, the entire Dubai government, on blockchain by 2020. So China's way far in advance on this. Um, Singapore, there's lots of countries that are moving ahead quickly, and then there are countries that are a little slower. I will say, unfortunately, I think in the U.S., people are a little further behind than I wish they were. But the good news is it's not that hard to figure out, so you can catch up quickly and get on board. You mentioned the, the risk or the reality that a lot of people that we wouldn't want to, to use this tool, they do, and they manage to get all of their transactions done anonymously. Uh, is there a way to stop that? Is there a way to regulate that I'm through the so blockchain? I'm so glad you brought that up. So it's not anonymous. Um, and we hope that there are criminals out there who think it is, so that they'll use it and then we can track them. Um, there's actually a whole different story that hasn't been told yet. It's pseudonymous. Mm -hmm. So everybody who's moving transactions has a, has a name, has a number and a name that goes with them. Now, does that mean that they're all that person? Probably not. Um, but any time um, there's a criminal out there right now doing something bad, let's say totally divorced from the blockchain-based system, right? Sometimes you can't figure out who that person is. But when you do figure out who that person is, you still need to track them down and get them, catch them doing something wrong. The thing with blockchain is that it is an immutable record. And so it is actually one of, going to be one of the greatest ways to solve crimes because once you figure out who that person is, the whole system lights up. And not only can you see what they did that one time, you can see the entire sort of lit up snake of you know events. And at some point they're gonna have to offload the Bitcoin, or the digital currency that they're using to an actual bank. Mm -hmm. And the banks are ready, and so they're, it's, it's amazing, uh, essentially, so there's a guy named Jason Weinstein who was the uh, head of the criminal division at the Department of Justice, and he serves on our board, and he came up with a really brilliant idea, super simple. He said, you know, in the 90s, law enforcement had a lot to learn about the internet, and they were late coming to the game. It was like the late 90s, and so they came to industry folks and said, teach us how to use this, we need to catch bad guys that are using the internet for all sorts of things. And so his idea was, let's go early. Again, it's like 1991. Let's go now and talk to law enforcement and help them use this as a tool because it's so much more secure than figuring out how to find a bag of cash lying around, right? So these are digital records of money movement. Right? So like, and it's mutable. So of course there, this could be a gigantic tool in the toolbox. And so they started out a year ago with conference calls with DHS, DOJ, some, some bigger agencies in the United States. And now a year later, they've got Interpol, Europol, Australian police, Canadian. I mean, people, all of these agencies are 
jumping on these calls because they all want to know how to use this as a tool. So it is interesting. I mean, you can't look, ISIS uses Twitter. Like you can't stop people with, you know, nefarious purposes from using technology, but you can use it for so much good if you know how to use it right. And so it's on us as leaders in the world, I think, to think through those things and come up with as many possible ways as you can to ensure that it's, again, harnessed appropriately. It's an exciting time. If you think about it, you go back to the people who were in these rooms in 1991, what would you tell them? What would you ask them? What would you want to know that they were thinking through? You know, thankfully for us, we still we don't have to explain what a digital network is. <laughs> they had to explain that. Can you imagine? That would have been a very difficult job yeah. for you. Yeah, and there was a, the, the the chairman of the committee in the U.S. Senate who was in charge of regulating this referred to the internet as a series of tubes, and people <laughs> made fun of him. And honestly, I kind of get it, right? I mean, it was yeah. sort of an interesting way to describe it. And but they thought sort of thought, you know, this guy's out to lunch. He doesn't understand. But we have to meet policymakers where they are, and we have to uh, help them understand where this is going and you know think through all those questions you used to work in the white house so one of the things that yes. you uh, in government you have to think about is who are the losers uh, of any type of disruption and yes. try to to safeguard them what are the biggest losers in your opinion from this technology in the future if, if this technology gets applied widespreadly in society uh, who will be the biggest losers and how can we help them mitigate the risks uh, yeah well look i think there's two things that are of concern to me that I think we need to be really thoughtfully thinking through at this stage and working with regulators on is how do, and, and business leaders most importantly, is how do you potentially disrupt industries um, and ensure that you're not completely, you know, dissolving millions of jobs? So that is critical, though I will say that this is not the first time that societies have to ask itself this question, right? Mm -hmm. Every time there's a new technological breakthrough, sure, of course there will be jobs that will be removed. But what new jobs could be created, right? And so those are the kinds of things that I want, you know, it's one thing to understand the technology, it's another thing for business leaders to think of ways to create new jobs using this technology. And I hope that that is what happens. I hope they see that. You know, when you look at your money movement companies of today, they don't have to be afraid of this. They can actually move to a blockchain-based system and continue to thrive as businesses. And we hope that they will, and we hope that they look at this as an opportunity and not as sort of a fearful, you, know, you look at banks, and my first thought when I was learning about this is why aren't banks fighting against this? And the reason they're not is because they have a lot, they know that they have improvements they could be making. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to find that actually if they use this technology the right way, particularly anchored to the public blockchain for security reasons, they will save both themselves and hopefully the consumer a lot of money. And that will make people use them more and like them more. So there's all these positive ways to look at it, if again, if harnessed correctly. I think the other thing that concerns me is that it's very helpful to have an immutable record. Um, it's sort of the killer app for corruption, right? You have all of these leaders and business folks and people around the world who are doing the right thing, but there every once in a while there are people who are not, and they're cooking the books and they're saying, you know, oh, we moved all this these commodities over here, and they didn't, right? And so if you have some more accountability and immutability and more importantly transparency because that's the thing about blockchain based systems is that you can see it right you kind of know what's happened here um, and there's a transparency for the citizens right so let's pretend that there was a poll taken in mm -hmm. some country that doesn't have a lot of um, visibility or transparency as a rule 
And the people polled on their phone, they voted on their phone, and they said, we don't want that initiative. 98% po polled said that, and they voted on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? You cannot change those answers. So if a you know, leader wanted to go in and mess with it, you could see that they did that. And imagine the impact of that, right? And they wouldn't actually be able to, and the system would actually not allow them to, but you could see that they tried. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I think that what, um, what is amazing is that if you are looking at um, some countries have expressed an interest in creating logs on their citizens, mm -hmm. that concerns me greatly, right? So those are the kinds of things where it can help fight corruption, but you also have to be really careful that you're not allowing governments to create immutable records on people that are not accurate and sort of track whether you're a good citizen or a bad citizen and those kinds of things that you hear were murmurs about around the world. Fascinating stuff. I hope yeah. that you have been successful in communicating some of these things here in Davos. I hope so. I think so. I think, I think the biggest thing I would say to people is that, again, this is, I believe, you know, blockchain, once you kind of get it, it captures the imagination. And unfortunately for me, it doesn't really let go to the point where I quit my safe job and joined this startup <laughs> and work in this space now. But um, there, no technology is a panacea. And I think if you kid yourself into believing that it's going to solve the world's water problems or whatever, it's not. But it is going to, if harnessed correctly again, for the first time ever, you could actually track water usage in a real clear way. And there could be interoperability where, you know, water is done at local levels. People could actually know what's really happening and there could be a better sense of accountability. Um, and, you know, all of these pieces, you know, they're, we're, we've been handed this tool. Whoever created this had a lot of thoughts in mind on that. And so now it's up to us. Exciting stuff. Thank you very much Jamie, for your Thank time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was Jamie Smith, Global Chief Communications and Marketing Officer at the Bitfury Group. My name is Riga Sadzilakos and that was all from this episode of A Glimpse into the Future. <laughs>